My name is Luke Butler and you're listening to the Back of House podcast. Today we are not joined by Michael uh, Rodriguez, the new commissioner for New South Wales 24-hour economy. Um, I've probably completely mis, um, misread that um job title, but Michael is unfortunately quite busy um, in his new role, so we've decided to move on with this one. Without him, it will not be a regular occurrence, but it certainly is the case for today. And today's guest is a man by the name of Sam Trude. Um, Sam um, is an Australian who finds himself living over in the US, um, which, you know, in current climate may be considered uh, as interesting enough to have him on the show, but um, Sam uh, has actually found himself uh, owning and operating uh, um, a group of uh, cafes and venues um, in in LA, and uh, I guess through my work with uh, we've started working with Sam, and um, um, his story was actually quite unique. And 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 what's happening over in the states is obviously unique, um, and the experience that he is having um, operating an Australian business um, in the states, um, you know, with an Australian product focus and the type of venue that we would typically take for granted here um, has been, you know, pretty exciting for him. So we thought it would be a good opportunity to share uh, that information, share that story. Um, So hence uh, Sam being a guest on today's show. So um, without any further ado, we'll now have a chat with Sam Trude from Great White uh, Hospitality. We um we've been doing this for a while now. This will be like the thirtieth episode, I think. We've had like uh, Neil Perry, Josh Nyland, cool. um, awesome. sort of from a culinary perspective, um, like the former CEO of McDonald's, for example, from wow. Asia Pack. So some more corporate people, some hoteliers, but it's all kind of like people who are just doing interesting stuff. I think is probably what unites them yeah right obviously been fairly dominated by like coronavirus and that topic most recently but um the whole idea of it originally uh, coming from hospitality um and then going to recruitment you kind of a lot of hospitality uh i've found anyway that a lot of people still view hospitality as a bit of a second tier or a third tier profession um Mm. and so we wanted to just kind of highlight some of the the businesses that people have built in hospitality with a view to kind of, you know, not, we're not going not to change that perception, but, you know, maybe people were inspired by it or whatever it is. So um, that's the whole reason behind it. But um, yeah. yeah, interesting point. I mean, that, I, I never, never assumed that I'd get into this industry and, you know, finding myself in it, it's quite, I'm surprised that I am, but I'm also surprised how much I love it and how, you know, how, um, you know, how much of a profitable, you know, and look at business it can be. So. It's a good point. You know, when you say you didn't think you'd end up in hospitality, how, how did mm. you actually come into it? Were you, were you doing something beforehand or, or how did you actually make it into hospitality? Yeah, so, I, I mean, I moved here to Los Angeles about 10 years ago um, and unlike most people, my the genesis for me moving here was a bit different. I actually met a girl and chased, chased her here. Um, <laughs> not, not knowing the city, I've actually, I'd actually had never been to Los Angeles. I'd spent some time in New York and other cities, but never, never, never Los Angeles. So definitely took a big, a big flyer. But I think it was the right stage in my life. You know, I was 27. I'd spent the last 10 years working corporately for a big property development company in Sydney, and 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 I just really wanted a, a change, and I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. So, so when I got here, I di- initially I sort of did some property stuff, 
um, because that's what I knew. So I spent three or four years doing some some little subdivisions and you know building some some homes in and around LA, and that was really interesting. Um, But ultimately, it was you know it wasn't too exciting. So I then I think what 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 sort of started pushing me towards hospitality was I got an opportunity to to um, consult for um, an Australian coffee company, Vittoria, right, right. which most, most people would know. It's the largest, you know, pure coffee company in Australia. And, you know, I had a relationship with the family and, you know, I just got this interesting opportunity, whereas they were, they were interested in entering the U.S. market. And it was, you know, from my point of view, just looking at the consumer sort of you know, sentiment and consumer growth in hospitality, I just sort of noticed that, you know, premium coffee was becoming more prevalent here. Um, so, you know, I, my feedback to them was, look, I think it's a great time to enter the market. I think consumer trends are changing and I think they're starting to look um, towards more premium coffee. So, you know, I for two years I was essentially the, the country head um, and they didn't have really any business here at the time. So, I, it was soup to nuts, you know, I was doing, you know, trademark protection and logistics and, um, you know, doing a lot of, you know, market research in terms of like strategy, where to mm. launch, how to launch, you know, is it food service, is it retail, all those things. Um, and, and inevitably ended up building a sales team and actually growing a sales team and growing a, a, a really good business. Yeah. Um, and they still operate here. Um, they have a, they have a team. They're still, I still use their product. I'm a, you know, I'm a, one of their partners. Um, it's, an, it's an amazing business. So that, that really kind of opened my eyes to hospitality. Um, I always loved it as a kid. Like I always loved, you know, you know, thinking about what makes that restaurant or what makes that hotel better than say that one, you know, what's, what's behind that consumer decision, you know, mm. and I always thought it was fascinated by that. Um, and so then having some experience, you know, via, you know, working with some hospitality businesses through Vittoria, working with hotels and restaurants and cafes, I just got a bit of insight into like what works and what doesn't and a bit of the dynamics. So, you know, in doing that, I really saw the gap in the market for, you know, um, fast, casual three meal cafes, um, you know, and here, particularly and still to this day, um, there's a lot of specialisation. So a coffee shop typically here will just focus on coffee, yeah. right? And they'll either be, it'll either be Starbucks or like third wave hipster coffee and some pastries. Um, if it's breakfast, it's just they're all in on breakfast. If it's a restaurant, it's all dinner and cocktails. And no one really did that all day casual, you know, cafe thing that we know so well in Australia. Um, and so I, I just sort of saw the opportunity and I, I kind of, you know, a space became available and I sort of just, I jumped on it and then I had just, you know, I was very open with Victoria and I said, look, this is what I want to do. And they supported me and I, you know, spent some time sort of making sure there was a good transition and I just sort of dove into it. Yeah, right. So previous in the property related um, career, did you ever have any interaction with hospitality uh, in a professional sense? Obviously you would have dined out and... <laughs> An experience or use hospitality, but did you ever did you ever do any mixed use properties, or did you ever have to look at sort of precinct um, creation in those kind of environments? Yeah, I did. Interestingly, it's funny now I think back, and I, you know, I did. I worked for a company called Stockland, which was you know a big diversified real estate 
development company and and I focused on it. I was in their retail division for right. about eight years. So I was really precincting, designing, planning and building and ultimately leasing um, uh, malls, right, shopping centres. So and I really did enjoy that. Again, it was all about, okay, you know, how can you create the ideal tenancy mix, um, the ideal layout, the design, you know, how can you, you know, maximise that to get, you know, bodies through the doors. Um, and I just sort of loved that whole dynamic, right? So, you know, I guess indirectly I had some exposure to, you know, to hospitality, but I, I guess retail in general and like consumers in, in yeah. general. Yeah. So when you opened, you should introduce the name of your business obviously and, and where it is, but so you were you effectively going in cold, like opening up a venue as a first-time oh, operator with no operational experience. Is that right? Oh, stone cold. Yeah, really? absolutely. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. How, how was that? I mean, it was fun. I mean, I, that's the best bit about, you know, being an entrepreneur and, and, you know, owning your own business is it's just kind of working it out. Um, and, look, hosp- hospitality particularly isn't rocket science. Um, you know, like I think if you know what you don't know and you import that knowledge, you know, you tend to be sort of, you know, better, you know, better at it. Um, and we certainly didn't know a lot. Like we weren't chefs, we weren't operators. Like we, you know, we had a vision and then we sort of had to, you know, we certainly brought in the culinary side. We, we brought in a little bit of the operations side, but we also sort of just did it ourselves initially and worked it out. Um, but, you know, hospitality, when you break it down, is, is, it's pretty innate. It's pretty natural for a lot of us. So we just drew on, drew on what felt right. Um, right. And, and um, yeah, it sort of it kind of worked. Do you want to talk through just for listeners the specs, I guess, name, location, size, sort of style, if there's any comparable sites that you would, you would reference here in Australia or even further abroad that would just give a good picture as to what you're doing? Yeah, sure. So the, the, the brand is called Great White, as in the, the shark, and we're based in our first location um, is based in West Los Angeles in Venice Beach. So we're a block off the beach. We're sort of directly under that sort of famous Venice sign that, that some people may may know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, you know, initially, you know, again, our concept was sort of, you know, an Australian-inspired, you know, fast casual cafe, you know, three meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, the space we took control of initially was quite small. It was 900 square feet, which is 90 square meters. So we just started with, you know, breakfast and lunch and, you know, basically basic order at the counter kind of cafe style, um, you know, service model. Um, you know, we did, you know, we did a big brekkie and we did, you know, a breakfast burrito. We kind of Americanized it a bit, um, you know, and what you would typically see, um, you know, at, at an Aussie cafe, you know, avocado toast and, um, you know, bowls and salads and sandwiches and, a, you know, fried chicken sandwich, that kind of thing. Mm. And, and really, and really good coffee. Um, and you know, that we, the, initially the response was, was, was really, really strong. And then, you know, we had the opportunity to acquire the space next door to us, which was a subway. And we, we sort of doubled this, actually more than double it went to about um, 2,500 feet, which is 250 square meters. And that gave us the opportunity to add dinner, which we always wanted to do. We really wanted to sort of create that three meal model because mm. just from a financial perspective, it just, it just makes so much sense to be able to monetize your, your fixed overhead, right? All day. And, um, and we added sort of wood-fired pizza and, you know, a really sort of a really great 
well-rounded dinner menu uh, yeah. as well as you know a natural wine program um you know and a limited sort of cocktail offering you know a margarita an aperol spritz a paloma um you know and and, and beer so, and and that that worked really well it worked really really well and it sort of just validated our initial thinking which is okay three meal is the right business model yeah um and it's also what's what's missing in the market here um so so with with that kind of success you know we we um obviously covid was a bit of a challenge but we we sort of identified some a bit of a, a bit of a growth plan um and we've sort of got an, another one in construction right now in in larchmont which is sort of mid-city mm-hmm. um and the third one about to start construction in west hollywood on on melrose which is quite a sort of premium flagship location so that'll be our our biggest of the three again we, we really maximize like the outdoor the outdoor alfresco you know seating aspects um the like patios and what have you which which again isn't really done in california which is strange to think of because we it only rains three days a year here so <laughs> yeah. they, they just it's just you know there's no rooftops there's no out there's no outdoor you know beer gardens or it's very strange and, and that's what mm. we know again back from back home so you know, drawing on that influence again, you know, like everything we do is outdoors. You know, we open up, we open up all our shop fronts, and it's this indoor outdoor experience. And um, you know, we, you know, we. It's funny we, we don't call ourselves an Australian cafe because we never wanted to be sort of pigeonholed into that. Yeah. Because um, I think it can be a little bit cliche, you know, in some senses, you know, and you know, so we don't, you know, there's no Vegemite on the menu. We don't, there's, there's no real Aussie references. I mean, you get it. If you walked in there, you'd say, okay, this looks like an Aussie cafe. Yeah. Um, but we really want it to be, you know, a, a, a global picture of what a, what a three meal cafe restaurant looks like, you know, this with, you know, a bit of European influence and a bit of Mexican, you know, and even Californian influence. Um, and I think that's that's worked really well for us. And what, what what was the uptake like? I mean, you mentioned it was obviously pretty successful quickly. Um, was that was it a huge adjustment for patrons? Were there other people doing similar things over there at the time? I mean, last time I went to New York, which was a long, which was quite a long time ago, I guess, like maybe five, six years ago, um, you could really see that the Australian cafe culture was fairly well presented over there. Whereas the time before that, which was even probably two years before that, wasn't uh, anywhere near to the same level. Well, was it a market in which there were already businesses? Um, you know, starting to uptake that kind of approach to food and venues, or were you guys kind of the first? I think I think LA and California was a was a was much slower, right? Um, in that process, New York, everything starts in New York first. It's just, you know, it's just where all the trends sort of tend to sort of come from and filter down. So, and it's all there's also so much density in New York. You know, it's much more walkable. You've got more bodies and centralized locations, whereas LA is such a flat landscape you know it's it's very everything's very you know you get, get in your car it, it, it's it's a trickier place to, to do business I, mm. I have to say you know yeah. um 
so New York definitely had had the head start, and there were a couple of you know great operators early on that sort of you know really proved that model, and that that definitely gave us gave us some um, you know that gave us some you know a good feeling that this would work because we sort you know it sort of validated it a little bit. But I, I think in LA when we opened, I mean, I I can't even think of any other Aussie cafes. I mean. There were some Aussie operators. Um, God, there was like the there was a meat pie place and like, <laughs> but no, but no, no, not really any cafes. As I said, it was it was interesting. It was just you, you had you had these sort of hipster, you know, coffee shops, um, and all they did was just you know just fling coffee and sell some pastries, and Has that's that what we just thought. Now? It still hasn't really. Yeah. It still yeah, right. hasn't, and, and and I don't know. I'm kind of waiting for it. I even said to my partner, "I'm like, you know, I'm like, oh, this is, you know, the wave's going to come, um, but it, it just it just hasn't." And look, I think Luke, it comes back to just um, we're just so lucky in Australia, you know, having this having the influence that we have. Right? Mm. It really is one of the best culinary um, destinations in the world. Like, it, it honestly is. We're so lucky. It's it's so diverse and it's so mature. Um, that it's second nature to us like we that's what we expect whereas i think no disrespect to the american culture at all i mean i love it i live here but they they just come from a from a different base their expectations aren't as high as ours are because because what what we're so used to is such a high quality of operators and providers and 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 service that um that's what we expect Mm. um whereas here it's you know it's it's like you know the the it's like a diner, like a Denny's or what have you. That's kind of the baseline, right? Right. Um, and, and, you know, and then you've got your premium restaurants and fine dining, what have you. But it, everything in between is kind of blurred. And, and you know, I, I don't know. I think people sort of still, they love it. I mean, they come into our place all the time and they're like, this is amazing. Like, this is such so unique and so different. And to us, it's just like, well, this is just, this is just what we know. I mean, we just grew up around this. Are you seeing any other, are there many other Aussies over there? Now that you're aware of, I think yeah. some mates of yours did they take on a hotel around the corner? Is that right, or am I totally um, making that up? I don't know about it. Well, there is a there's a um, a young a young girl, um, a woman who's, who has a hotel up in in Malibu called, called the Surf Rider, right. um, and she, she's she's amazing, and they've done a great job with that. Um, she's from Brizzy, and the, then there's a bunch of other guys. Yeah, so there's. Um, there's obviously the EPLP guys, um, and they have a little cafe called Soul in, in Hollywood, which is again really good. Mm. Um, just trying to remember who else. Um, you know, there's Elefante and and Rubies. They were out of New York initially, and they did a, a another Rubies here in Santa Monica. So there's there's a few. I mean, it's funny it, over over the ten years I've been here. I mean, I can't tell you how many introductions or emails or or, or phone calls I get from Aussie operators, right? That are like, oh, I'm visiting and really want to do something in LA, you know, like, would you mind mm. having lunch with me and just, you know, let me know, you know, just, you know, let me know your story or, or give me some advice. Um, and, you know, and some have, have hung out and stuck it out and, and gave it a shot. I got to say, not many of them have actually stuck around and, um, and, and not to say that, that you know they they failed, um, you know it could it could have been a person who knows right, 
but 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 there's definitely a lot of inbound desire to do stuff here. Yeah, but um, it's 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 I don't think it's that easy. I, th- I think one of the big mistakes I think I've seen people do is come in with a a little bit of I guess it's arrogance. Yeah, or just like I've had some success, you know, in Australia or in Europe or whatever, and I know the model and I know what I'm going to do, and they. They don't spend the time, I guess, to really understand the, con- the consumer or the demographic or the market they're going into, and maybe they might just just make some mistakes. And look, I, I don't profess to be any better than them in, in it by any means. It's just I think by virtue of just being here six years, right? Yeah. <laughs> I just had a little bit more of a of a finger on the pulse of the of the culture and the yeah. customer, and yeah. I think that ultimately helped with sort of site selection and then you know location and things like that. Yeah, mate, it's hard. I mean, it is it is hard to make decisions on a market when you don't, you know, that sounds really bloody obvious, mm. but when you are not actually in it, um, yeah. uh, it makes, I, I've noticed that move. I, I've yeah. recently relocated cities in Australia and you have the perception of the place that you're going to, even though I'd been there. I've, I've moved from Sydney to Noosa, where I've up our Queensland office. And my perception um, or understanding of the local market, even though I had been here probably about 500 times across my life, um, yeah. has changed significantly over the past four months just from being in situ and, you know, the way that you think people behave around hospitality, which has always been my focus, is completely different in reality to anything that I actually thought beforehand. So. It's, uh, it's interesting. It's just, it is. It's really interesting. Well, what I guess on that, what, what have been the biggest challenges for you in terms of adjustment, um, even initially when you first moved over to the States or um, I guess challenges that you faced in, in opening a business there? I guess, I guess sort of like culturally um, there's a bit of a gap, you know, right, and there always is. And I still feel that today, like even when I'm around a a group of Americans, either socially or, or in a business setting, I find there's always a little bit of a, of a, of a sort of communication gap <laughs> and it's, and, it, and it's not the, it's not the accent necessarily. It's more just, there's it, just a cultural difference, right? There just, there really is that, you know, the way we, you know, the way we crack jokes or the way we um, communicate, uh, wh- whatever it is, I, I find that, that that still exists and it certainly existed when I got here and it still exists today. Um, I mean, the Aussies have a good rep. I'll say that. Like, you know, right. I think around the world, people love Aussies, and they're like, you know, it's it's easy to get along with people. It's easy to meet people. It's actually it could even be a benefit, right, when it comes to doing business dealings, just to sort of take the meeting or get the meeting or whatever. But but uh, you know, generally in in those environments, that that can be a bit of a wear on you, you know. Even even socially, as I said, you know, because you know, you know, my, the people that I know and my friends and what have you here, I haven't known that long. You know, I don't have that yeah, history right. with them, and we don't, you know, we, you know, they certainly had a different cultural upbringing than I did. So, that, you know, there is that interesting sort of gap. Um, so I have found I have to, I had to I have to be a bit of a chameleon sometimes, right? Just to kind of fit in with whatever crowd or group it is that I happen to be with at that time. Is it? Um, is there a pretty decent expat community over there? Like, are there many Aussies kicking around just from a social, not even in hospitality, but socially? You can definitely, with? yeah, right, yeah. But it's also it's also a revolving door, right? I mean, just the nature of this city is, is you know, you get 
you don't get many stayers. Like I, it's, I'm, I'm somewhat unique because you know I'm, I got married and we had kids and a business. Like I'm, I'm here. This is home now for me. Mm. Whereas a lot of people will tend to to come here for a job or an opportunity or you know they're an actor or whatever. And 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 it's rare that they'll sort of you know meet someone, get married, and settle down. So I, I you, ha- you have a lot of people that just sort of come and go. So I, as it relates to like my Australian relationships and connections, they tend to be somewhat short, short-lived, because ultimately they they go, you know, they go back to Australia. And there's a reason the people move or people don't, people change or people stay the same completely, and it's such a such a short delight, so I accumulate only then to leave. Is it better? Mate, you, you said something before. Uh, well, you referenced the pandemic, but in a very loose, <laughs> loose way. Um, <laughs> so I take us through the last sort of, I guess, 12, 14 months, whatever it's been. Um, and what it's been like over there, mm. uh, I guess, in you know, as a human, but also as a business owner, especially within the hospitality sector, um, you know, the response here, obviously, you you would be across what's going on in Australia, where, and I think we spoke about this yesterday very briefly, but it is it is very um, normal, life's very normal here, and we never really, if you can we compare it to the states, we never really had COVID in Australia. Mm. Like mm, I think mm. I, I don't even know the numbers that we've had in total, but would no. obviously pale in comparison. Yeah. Um, so what was it like, you know, from start to finish? I mean, look, finish, it, but, you know. it, it was rough. Um, it was really rough. And, but it, in a lot of ways, I actually think we'll be better because of it. I actually think we'll benefit out from this and I'll, I mean, I'll tell you why. So, you know, in March, you know, everything shut down, like full shutdown closure, like we had to close, like we couldn't even do takeout. I think that went, that lasted for like, I don't know, a month or something. Um, and we were, we were midway through construction on our expansion, right? Mm-hmm. So that all stopped, every, you know, everyone went home, what have you, and we just sort of bunkered down until we sort of, you know, worked out what was going to happen. Um, we, we were then able to open for sort of, takeaway and delivery and we actually got a lot of support from our local community so you know comparatively to the rest of the industry we were okay i mean our sales probably came off 40 percent right um whereas other businesses were just decimated you know if you were a traditional sit-down restaurant i mean that didn't really have a you know a, a big takeout offering or delivery you just you were just done for um and so and we did we do have another restaurant actually directly across the street which is called Gran Blanco, which is a traditional restaurant and cocktail bar. So that had to shut and that has been closed for 400 and something days. We yeah, actually right. opened last, we opened last week, last Wednesday, we, we, we reopened. So that was brutal. That was, that was complete closure, not a dollar of revenue for over a year. Um, whereas Great White was okay because we were that, that casual, um, you know, business model. We, we, we sort of did, we we'll, we still did quite well with, with takeout and delivery. So we're able to weather the storm. Now we did do a lot of, you know, pivoting or whatever, you know, um, you know, we, we, we invested pretty hard in, in, in tech and we developed our own app. We invested really heavily. It was a big risk, but we thought we had to do it. 
So yeah. we developed our own our own app with our own sort of user experience and uh, you know and the whole when we the whole system all the way through delivery, we integrated with all the delivery apps. And then that ended up being huge because we migrated, I think, nearly 10,000 customers to our app and they're now native to us and we can communicate to them and they and they stayed on the app, right? And they still right. order through the app and they engage with us on the app, whatever. So that was that was really, really cool. I'm glad we did that. It was a, it was a bit of a bet. You know, it costs a lot of money, but I'm, it, it, I think it's, it's really going to pay off, particularly as we grow and scale. We also, you know, our sister restaurant, Grand Blanco, which completely closed, we, we created a brand new concept. We actually did a, um, a rotisserie chicken concept out of yeah, there, right. which was just delivery only because we just, we just had to, had to do something. So we, we concepted this whole new thing. It was rotisserie chicken and sort of Mediterranean sides and what have you, and it was just completely delivery. And it actually did, did okay. It, it, it paid the rent. So it kept the lights on and it paid the rent. Um, so, so that, that allowed us to sustain, right. And then there was oh, basically 10 months of just COVID roller coaster, right. Up and down, open, close, open, close, which was, which was tough, but we were kind of, we were healthy. And, and during that time we made a decision to kind of, you know, not, you know, not slow down, but sort of speed up. So mm. we, we went out there and we were very active in the marketplace and we ended up sort of signing two new, um, locations basically mid pandemic. Um, and, and we did that because, you know, a lot of businesses were, you know, were going out of business. Mm. Um, you know, landlords were looking for quality operators of which there were not many. Um, and we were able to sort of put our finger on some really good sites, um, and get some really good incentives, you know, 12 to 18 months rent free, right. some, some capital, you know, some really good stuff. So, that was essentially how we managed to, to, to get these these two, potentially even three, we're close to a third new um, new sites. Um, which I again we took the we took the punt that okay, COVID's going to finish one day, um, and you know we can spend this time getting all our planning and approval, so and potentially even start construction. So we come out of this, you know, moving pretty pretty quick. And so I think and I think in a way, like if you fast forward to where we are today. You know, America's done a great job with with um, vaccinations. I think 150 million Americans have been vaccinated, um, and California in particular has done an amazing job. I think it's like I think 35 million Californians, so it's it's more than half. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, we, we we were vaccinated. My wife and I a long time ago. All my staff, basically everyone I know. So you know, our our COVID cases have never been lower. Um, you know, we're we're fully open. Um, right. sorry, 50% indoor dining, but they've, we've, they've given us sort of a, a lot of outdoor, um, dining options. So we've, we've moved into the street, we've, um, captured the sidewalk and we're basically almost twice the size of what we were pre COVID. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, I think we're sort of through it. I think it's done. I, I really do. And, and we're, you know, even from a, customer sent sentiment point of view i mean we are we've never done better numbers we've never been busier um it's just there's so much pent-up demand like we opened our sister restaurant grand blanca last wednesday and and we're 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 fully booked out for a month yeah right three turns a night sold done <laughs> i mean it's it's insane so that, you know how long has that been i know sorry grand blanca was last wednesday but yeah 
I guess, since you reopened again most recently. How long has that been? It's probably been it's probably been like within the last six to eight weeks. Yeah, right. We've been since like Feb. Late it's pretty, Feb. It's, I mean, like I said, the, the, I think the the interesting thing for many people, me in particular, um, you just get us. The, the perception would be from all the way over here that it's just an absolute mess over there. It has been, you know, just people. Because the case, obviously, the numbers have been insane, and and things that you see on the TV here um, or in news, whatever um, um, platform you, you're seeing the information, but. Um, people refusing to wear masks, um, mm. thinking it's, you know, a, a, an invasion of their civil liberties. Um, and I think last time we spoke maybe eight weeks ago, maybe even longer, um, I think you, you said that there was, a, a, you know, in some senses a level of defiance around, you know, people just doing what they wanted. Is, was that, is that fair? Am I remembering that correctly? For sure. Yeah, right. And I think, again, that that, that sort of comes back to a little bit of the, the culture here and, and look, we, we forget this in Australia, but like, you know, they had a civil war, like they went to war with each other and that mm. in itself is ingrained in, in their psyche and in their culture, right. For generations. And so, you know, everything back here has come back to rights. Like we have a right to free speech and a right to wear a mask or not wear a white a mask. And, and it's irrelevant to whether or not it's good for them or bad for them. It's all about, you know, their right to, do whatever the hell they want. And um, and so that's what they kind of do for the most part. And so, yeah, there definitely was some um, benevolence as it related to, like, taking it seriously, and that's why it was so bad here. Mm. But, you know, at the same time, they have done a pretty good job, you know, getting the vaccine rolled out. Um, and it, it's, it, it really seems to be working. I mean, touch wood, cases have never – I mean, we're fully, basically fully open and right. we've never had a lower case count than we do, you know, today it's and, since this thing started. How long do you think? I mean, it's 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 obviously impossible to predict, but we we reopened, I guess, bar a few small lockdowns, our little circuit breaker ones, three days, or whatever, across maybe Sydney or I don't think Sydney's had another one. Brisbane definitely has. Melbourne has. Um, there's a lot of reports across from many of our clients anyway that you know trading conditions are quite strong. It obviously depends where you're located. CBDs here uh, are still quite challenging, particularly in Melbourne. Mm. Um, so you know a lot of revenue has been traded out or sent out to more suburban areas because a lot of people are still working from home. Um, but it hasn't necessarily dissipated yet. Do you have a sense for? Um, what's going to happen over the next sort of, you know, couple of months? And, and has there been much attrition in the industry with venues not reopening or, or closing, you know, recently after after the reopening period? There's been a lot, yeah, right. there's been a lot. And, and, and that's where I think, you know, there's some, it sounds bad, but there's some benefit to this. And I think that's where the good operators will thrive. And I think, you know, we're, I think, you know, we're lucky enough to be one of those is that, there, you know, prior to this, there were a lot of, you know, mediocre operators that were just kind of hanging on um, that, that, that had some, some fundamental issues with their business model anyway, right? And I think what COVID did is just sort of like trim the fat. Yeah. So there were a lot of businesses that, 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 that went out of business and that's created a lot of opportunity for, 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 for you know, for new young 
you know, people to enter the market and new concepts. And I th- so I think it's going to be good for the industry. I really do. Um, and, you know, even to this day, you know, pe- you know, the company, the bigger companies that were hanging on and hanging on and hanging on and there was some government subsidies and what have you allowed them to hang on, they just got to a point where they just can't hang on any longer, you know, and, and they're not getting the customers back at the pace that some other businesses are. And so, you know, I, I get calls. God, daily, you know, from from brokers that are like, hey, you remember, you know, that four thousand foot, you know, cheesecake factory or whatever, or, um, you know, they walked away. Um, there's a four million dollar fit out, and if you want the keys, you could walk in tomorrow. It's yours. So there's that kind of there's that kind of stuff that that that's out there that's happening. Um, and again, because they're just there's not that many great operators that sort of thrive through this. Yeah, right. There is there is a lot of opportunity there. Um, but it's about you know taking advantage of the right opportunity and not you know not getting ahead of yourself and not you know over leveraging and what have you. So, this is a little segue. But if you were to compare the market over there to say a Sydney or a Melbourne or a Brisbane, you know we've got a, some quite prominent, well-known groups that operate at that mm-hmm. more premium end of the market. Are there many examples of similar businesses over there that are, are prominent, or is it more? Um, spread out in that the large operate like you referenced cheesecake factory sort of large national chains do they kind of dominate that larger group um business type and then it's sort of operators like yourselves that sit um and salute to that is that is that fair yeah definitely you definitely have the big groups that are publicly traded and mm. you know national kind of chains they i think that they would definitely dominate the market in that professional setting um, or professional operator group set, um, and then you do you do definitely have some other more premium operators, right? Um, that you might compare to, to some of your better Australian operators that might you know have between twenty and fifty units yeah, um, right. that, that are operating at a really high level and and very very sort of um, you know structured and, and professional, um, and they definitely they're definitely out there. Not, none of those guys have have gone out of business um even though their business some of their business models have been definitely impacted big time but i i just think you know they have different different access to to, to capital whether it be public mm. markets or private markets i think and they had such a good strong business model prior to it that, that, that there's enough money to bail them out because they're gonna they're gonna recover you know um, but but you know some of the bigger chains that you know that the the play in that bigger space that were already kind of fundamentally fractured prior mm. to COVID they've gone to the wall like you know like California Pizza Kitchen um, you know Cheesecake Factory you know back to my prior point you know they were a well performing public business but they definitely struggled through this um, I think they had a had a car they did have a bailout um, yeah right but. You are seeing some of the bigger groups fall out of bed and, and some of the medium-sized groups as well, for sure. For sure. Obviously, the people topic is close to my heart. Here, we are seeing um, 
an incredibly challenging talent market. Like it is, uh, it's ridiculous. Is it? I actually just saw an article um, in the states uh, of McDonald's paying people fifty dollars to turn up to interviews, um, which would suggest that there are uh, similar issues over there with staff. Obviously, you know they're not going to be the kind of people, I guess, that you would do some different different yeah. candidate pool to that which you're speaking to. But are you seeing anything like that emerging at the moment, where it is difficult to find staff um, over over there? Look, I'm not. And we're, we're not in our business. Um, that's not to say it's not happening elsewhere. And I haven't heard that, i got to say, from, from, from other peers in, in the industry. Mm. Um, but I think we're lucky in that we're, quite, we're sort of quite in demand as it relates to, to um, you know, for, for, for employment. Um, you know, and I, it's funny. I think I just, I'm just sort of thinking, thinking on that. You know, we, we just reopened. Grand Blanco and even Great White, we all of our staff came back almost 100%. Um, and I think because you know, A, they wanted to, and B, there's also not that much because it, I think it's different than Australia, whereas we did have a severe shutdown and a lot, you know, up to 40% of the, those businesses haven't or will not open. So yeah, right. there is also, there is also like a, a, a lag in in opportunities there's not a lot of jobs out there really um yeah no there's probably i i'd say that i mean don't quote me on it but i i don't think there's a ton of people hiring right now maybe we should be recruiting people from over there to come over <laughs> to australia well, maybe <laughs> there's more than enough to go around over here maybe um, yeah well it's interesting yeah because we did have we did have such a big economic um shock here mm compared to, say, Australia. Um, and so that had so, – I mean, our, our unemployment got up to like – it was like 18%. Wow. It was really bad. Yeah, it's right. down to like – I think it's down to like 8 or 6 or maybe, yeah, something like that. So it's come, it's come down a lot. But, you know, there, there, was, there was a lot of people out of work and, you know, they all, they all needed work. And particularly in LA, you know, a lot of people in hospitality, it's not their – core focus right they're starting a business or they're an actor or an artist or whatever so you know they they their core business was probably impacted as well therefore they really needed to come back to their secondary job mm. yeah. and so i guess you've obviously already mentioned a couple of opportunities that you've seen out there what, what do you think the next sort of 12, 24 36 10 years uh looks like for you have you got any objectives Go national numbers of sites. You know what does that look like? It can't, it's funny. Like it, it. My business partner and I. He's also another Australian called Sam, um, and we talk about it all the time. <laughs> I mean, weekly. You know, we you know we have our weekly catch ups, and we always talk about like our, what our you know what, what the future looks like, and the changes you know daily. And I think mm. that's a good thing. And look, we've never we've we haven't raised any money, um, and we don't really want to um, because that obviously brings so many implied pressures and yeah uh and, and look uh, there's so many examples i think almost every example of of companies that have had early success and raised money i can point to now and say well look look at you know look at the damage that that caused you know look where they are now so you know we, we like the idea of being being laser focused really um you know conscious of smart growth 
Um, but at the same time, we know that we're onto something and we kind of need to sort of need to take advantage of it, right? Yeah. So, you know, we like the idea of doing, doing two, uh, two new locations a year for the next three to five years. Yeah, right. Um, and I think, I think that's primarily in LA and Southern California because uh, I think the market's certainly wide open for it. Um, and that's with the Great White brand, the Great White model. Um, and, and, you know, we've had some opportunities to go to New York and even, you know, Austin and, and, and what have you, but I, I, it's just not smart right now. I mean, when it's, you've got to keep your eyes on it, you've got to, you've got to be close to it. I just, I also don't want to be getting on, getting on a plane you know, once a week or whatever. Um, I like, you know, I like the lifestyle of sort of being, you know, being within a, a short drive to my businesses. So, so yeah, I think, you know, for the next three to five years we'll stay stay in southern california and we'll and we'll do more of them and um and everything we do like we do our own design we do our own construction you know we both got a background in that in planning design and construction and i think that's what sets us apart a little bit is that the environment we create is is really nice Mm. um i mean you know hospitality these days is it's it's not at all about just the food you know, it's this full 360, it's experience. We're in the experience business, right? So it's the food and the, it's the, um, you know, the fit out and the decor and the, and the, and the lighting and the music and the uniform and it's the whole thing. So that's what we like. That's what we like to create. And that's what we spend the time and, and, the, and put the investment into is creating like really unique um, experiences that really, I think a lot of the time come back to, to, to design and architecture. Who else is doing well over there at the moment? Do you, from just from your perspective, this is purely personal. Um, I mean, where do you go out over there when you're going out? Um, there's different. I mean, there's different places. Who's doing well? I mean, I. It's funny. I have different. Um, I've diff, I'm inspired in different ways. You know, like yeah. I, I look at some of the at some of the, the those medium tier groups that we we're talking about. Um, as for inspiration, even though they're not like the best culinary or what have you, but I just sort of you know nerd out on their operations, right? So mm. there's a, there's a group here called Hillstone um, that you may have heard of, mm-hmm. um, but they're, they're I think they're based out of Texas, but they have 50 restaurants, and they've always said we're only going to have 50. So if we open if we open another one, we'll close we'll close <laughs> one of our existing ones. Um, but but you know operationally in terms of their like efficiency and like mastering the details you know they they're the best they're the best in the business and again it's not like the most amazing food but the whole experience particularly if you're in hospitality and you can see all these pieces Mm. is it's amazing it's this beautiful dance you know and and they break the rules you know they don't you don't have a server dedicated to your table you know, you, every everyone within the restaurant is responsible for your service. You have you having all these different people touching your table, so their mentality is why have one server when you can have eighteen. Um, and then it, and then it's the, the, you know their training is 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 phenomenal. They only hire MBAs in in management. Only hire right. MBAs. They pay them one hundred twenty thousand dollars straight out of school, and they're and they're MBAs. Yeah, wow. it's amazing, and you can, and it's it's known. You talk to them, you go and sit down, and, you, and the manager will come up and say hello and say is everything okay, and you'll say I'll oh, sit down and have a chat with us, and you ask them their story, and they went to Stanford or whatever, um, and they went through like this, you know, six month training program. I mean, it's it's just it's it's amazing. It it it's amazing. Mm. Um, so I love that, even though it's not you know it's not sexy and cool, but as a business, it's just it's phenomenal. 
Um, but you know, then, then there's a lot of other really good operators. I mean, you know, here in the West side, there's the Jelena group, you know, Jelena, which is one of the first really great restaurants in Venice. Um, you know, from, they opened about 10 years ago and I think they just do great, great food. You know, they opened, um, a, uh, a bakery concept four or five years ago. And again, like, just like sort of coffee was here, you know, five or six years ago, bread here is just so far behind what, what we're used to. Bread here is terrible. Really? Um, <laughs> oh, it's so bad. Like it's just the, it's the worst, you know, you buy fresh bread and it'll, it'll stay fresh on your counter for like four weeks. Oh, you know? yeah. Whereas, you know, our bread, if you don't eat it within 24 hours, it goes moldy because it's just beautiful and fresh and lovely. Whereas the bread here is just weird. Um, and some people say it's the water. I don't know. Who knows? But these guys <laughs> opened a bakery in Venice. It's called Juista, and it's it's just it's awesome. It's what we know. It's like great fresh bread and you know sourdough and pastries, and then they and then they have a full line of you know all day you know meals and food and like mm. fish and charcuterie and stuff that's all based around it. So you know, there, there's a few guys like that that I think are really like you know leading the charge and and, and elevating um, you know what you know, what happens over here. Um, but there's not a lot, man. I tell you, it's, it, there's, there's, there's not a lot. I mean, some, some of the fun experiences I like here are going like, they're going to the old school places, you know, like Dantana's or, you know, Craig's or these places that have been institutions that have been around and open in LA since the fifties, mm. you know, and it's like bow ties and like, you know, bad yes. printed green carpet and like, <laughs> you know, booths and, you know, it, it you know, and you get like, it's like, honestly, it's like a side of lobster mac and cheese and, and cream spinach, you know, and a ribeye. You know what I mean? Like, I good. it's just so American. And that, yeah. again, that's just the culture here. And like, that you just go and do that stuff because it's fun. And then you've got the premium, you know, Michelin star stuff. And I just, I, to me, I just never really understood that. So it's a bit, it's a bit of everything. You just, you got to, you just got to um, embrace the, the culture. Mm. <laughs> It seems that we did a podcast, I can't remember how long ago, it was just uh, coming out back out of, the, I guess, the, the, the worst part of COVID, I guess, with um, Paul Gaby, who's in Singapore at Proven Company. And okay. a lot of similar themes. That, that Singapore is a location that's got a lot of Australians um, and they take with them a lot of Australian hospitality and it does really well over there. It seems like it's a pretty good time. I mean, we've... I, th- I feel like historically Aussies have kind of looked overseas for inspiration when it comes to food and beverage, but it feels like at the moment it's very much the other way around where there's a real opportunity to take, you know, whether it's baked on. Rotisserie chicken was not really a massive thing over in the States, but it's really yeah. blowing up at the moment. Yeah. Um, feels like a pretty good time to be an Australian in hospitality, delivering sort of Australian-style hospitality um, overseas. For sure, uh, 100%. Um you know, and I, and I think the importance with that is, you know, not to go into it with any arrogance because you, some things don't work. I mean, look, I, I was an early investor partner in in a meat pie concept here, yeah, right? right. Um, and we, it was called the Aussie Pie Kitchen and we're like, right. meat pies, they're going to love, we're going to put peas on top and gravy like, you know, um, you know, like like they used to do it in um, at, at, at Harry's. Harry's Cafe. And, Wheels, yeah. and they just didn't get it. They didn't get it. And they're probably never going to get it. And that's okay, right? I mean, for us, it's ingrained in our culture over, you know, how many however many generations. But, you know, they didn't get that. So you definitely can't ram anything down their throat. And I even find, 
Look, I even find with Thai, you know, which we do so well, some of the Thai flavors here are just a little bit too rich for the American palate, right? right? Some of the, those, the, the lemongrass and the ginger and all that stuff, it, it, it's, a, it's a bit too much. You've got to dial it back a bit. Mm. Um, so you definitely need to adapt. You, you have to adapt. If you come in with just pure, again, maybe not the right word, but arrogance or confidence, you will get, you will get burnt, right? It's, it's a different culture. Um, but if you, if you adapt it a little bit, um, and you bring a lot of those elements that we're talking about, all those great things that, you know, that, 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 that we're exposed to, then yeah, it, it, it's a huge opportunity here. It's just huge. I mean, my partner and I talk about it all the time. Like, God, oh, we should, we should just, you know, start like a, a, a venture firm that just imports, you know, Australian concepts. I mean, it's just, there's just so much that would, that would work. Um, mm. Again, if you just tweaked it and adapted it. It's, yeah, I'll reference another guest. We had um, the former CEO of Guzmany Gomez on and he was talking about their first Australian yep. opening over there and the feedback that they were receiving was based purely on the quality of the produce that they were using. It's, oh. You know, you would typically go to a Taco Bell, for example, or another like-for-like store in a sense, but um, the Australian way was to deliver that food style but using ingredients that they all they cut down in store. Um and it's just you, you, again, from an outside looking in, you would expect it that it was just the way that it is, but it's actually not. So you can stand out pretty quickly just by using fresh produce as a, as a really small example. For sure. And, again, I think, I think it's the little things. Like if you, if you, if you try and, like, shock, shock the system too much, you, you'll, you'll get, like, a recoil. And, again, with the pies, it was like they're like, they're like, oh, it's like a pot pie. I'm like, well, no, it's not. You eat it with your hands. And they're like, well, it's like a hot dog. But it's not hot anyway, it was just too, it was too it was a, it was a bridge too far. Yeah. Right. But for example, the, our best selling, uh, and I hope I hope I'm not selling the golden goose here, but the, our best selling item in our cafe is our breakfast burrito. And yeah, it's right. basically it's an Aussie breakfast rolled up in a tortilla. So we took what works in Australia and we Americanized it a little bit and we put some aioli on it and this little salsa and it's it's bananas i mean it's it's what pe- people drive across across town for it so yeah, you know right. it, again you, you, you've got to create the bridge but don't make it too far yeah nice yeah We ask, um, obviously, everyone these questions, so we'll jump right in. Um, what is your favourite book or the favourite book you've read recently or a podcast that you uh, would recommend? Um, look, books, there's two books that I, I I recommend that have definitely changed my outlook on business, particularly as it relates to restaurants. One more recently is called No Rules Rules by Reed Hastings, who's the founder of Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um that significantly changed my outlook on my business and how, how I run my business. Total game changer and, and just, just a cool story and a really smart guy about how he built Netflix and, and, and particularly his management style and leadership style around, um, you know, around building that business. Well, can you share quickly, I guess, the key takeaway there? Um, too complex. There, there's, quite, there's quite a lot, but it's essentially 
it, it all comes down to radical transparency, um, you know, a team, not family mentality as it relates to, you know, building a team. Um, just, just sort of principles, really interesting sort of business principles that he lived by and that he used in creating Netflix um, that made it, you know, this unicorn of, of a business and one of the best places in the world to work, you know, according yeah. to the staff. Um, so, so just from as a business point of view for, for business owners and operators, like that, that to me, I run my business based on those principles and, and yeah, it's right. been incredibly, incredibly powerful. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Uh, any, yeah. Do you any podcasts at all? Do you listen to any podcasts? Yeah, there's um so Danny Meyer is a is a really well known hospitality professional here in the School of Hospitality and yeah. he his book for one setting the table is kind of like the bible that you know yeah. I, I give to every manager you know that comes to work for us. <laughs> yeah. Um and so he has a great podcast and um you know he's always talking about some interesting things. Yeah, right. Um always tune into that one. Nice. Um what are you listening to right now? Have you got music taste changed a lot since you went to the states i don't think it's changed i guess i guess i mean i guess i'm just maybe influenced a little bit differently just because you you know what you're exposed to um i've never been sort of a huge sort of music person um my wife is so i tend to just listen to whatever she's listening to (laughs) right but right now i've actually been listening to um black pumas black pumas a little bit. I think they're out of like maybe New Orleans. Right. Uh, I could be com- completely wrong, but very really cool bluesy kind of kind of sound. That's um, nice. that's a good one. Do you only play Aussie music in you? Aussie? No, God, no. What are you talking <laughs> it's about? just cold chisel and midnight oil twenty four seven. Yeah. No, it never it never comes on. <laughs> uh, what are you drinking right now? What's your favorite drink? I I I'm, I'm drinking a lot of tequila. Has tequila nice. taken off in, in Australia? Has it started to? We're still very much on the gin uh, train right. here. Uh, gin is very much the flavour of the month, but uh, well, actually, the last sort of 18 months, two years. But um, I mean, tequila is always in vogue. But... Right. No, it's funny. I mean, he, here you'll, you'll never find a gin on a menu. It's just no one drinks really? <laughs> it's, really? too, it's too English. I, I, it's funny. I mean, I love it. I love a gin tonic, but you never, you'll never see it. Never see it. We don't even range it. We have a full cocktail bar. Don't what? even have it. Yep. Really? No. We're all agave. We're eighty percent tequila. Tequila is the drink of. I mean, particularly in the, on the west coast. Yeah, yeah. If, if it's not brown, it's it's tequila, and if we just sell so much of it. What's the? I guess what's the top brand? There's so 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 many, and there's some really good local ones. There's a, there's a local um, group called Nosotros, um, and they're just doing a really good job. You know, they're doing a Nyaho and a and a and a Blanco and a Repo, and it's just it's just really good stuff. But there's so many, and that's what makes it great. Is it's just you can just explore it endlessly. Yeah, I mean that's that's what gin's like here at the moment. I'm sure there's yeah, gin well. bars everywhere. There's mini really? distillery. Oh, mate, everywhere. Like, oh my god, it's insane. And craft beer is obviously still reigning supreme here. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that's um, that's very surprising. Um, favorite venue, and this could be anywhere um, locally or internationally. Um, any, if you could pick any venue to sit in and either eat or drink or do both right now or none, and just you know. If it's a club, whatever. Um, yeah. Look, I'm probably because I'm a little bit homesick and haven't been home in a while, but um, I've always been a huge fan of 
of Bill Granger and 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 Bills. Um, it's funny. I was in Tokyo Christmas before COVID, so two Christmases ago, and I went to a, a Bills in Tokyo. Yeah. And and I sat there and I had actually went actually went back every morning for three day, three days in a row, <laughs> yeah. and I had exactly the same coffee and exactly the same you know eggs and toast and bacon and like it. He just does such a great job at, at being thoughtful, but and 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 and, and simple, mm. um, and doing it in a great environment with a with a really thoughtful touch and a, and a great aesthetic. I mean, I just think I, I just think what he does is amazing. Yeah, right. Yeah. I love bills. I think it's. I think it's the. I think it's the. It's the north star for 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 cafes anywhere around the world. Yeah. Right. Uh, and finally, who in the industry are you most inspired by? Um. Oh man, good question. I think. I think, as I said, operators like Hillstone, like the one that the one I mentioned from an op, from like a nerdy like business operational point of view. Yeah. Um. Oh man, who else? You know, it's funny because I'm I'm relatively new to the industry. I've only really been in, in the industry for like four years now. I, I actually get quite disappointed. <laughs> you know, when I meet when I meet some of these people that you know, whether it be a great chef or a great operator or whatever, and you meet them, and you're like, oh, you're actually pretty like pretty pretty average Joe. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I put people on a pedestal. I think that's that's my problem. Um, but you know, I I don't know who, who inspires me. I don't know. I, don't. I should. I should know that. Shouldn't I? <laughs> it's, uh, it's a very tough question to answer. I, I don't know how I would answer it. To be honest, you've got to probably put, put, put some thought into it. But, um, but cool. Thanks for uh, taking the time. It was really good to chat and learn more about obviously yourself and the yeah. business. So, um, fingers crossed, everything keeps moving in the right direction over there. I mean, it's hard to imagine it going backwards from here. But um, you know, might have another pandemic next year. Next year, you never know. Oh God, don't don't think <laughs> Yeah, I shouldn't say that. Actually, don't say it. <laughs> take <laughs> <No>. it back. <laughs> <laughs> Touch wood. Uh, cool, man. Yeah, right, no, well, thank you. Man. I appreciate it. Yeah, great to chat. All right, talk to you soon. Yeah, cheers. Mm-hmm. Bye, bye. Mm-hmm. See you, man. Bye. bye.